I just had to sing a song for you guys. Da 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 da. Baby, you should worry about everything. Okay. Okay. Cause every little thing is gonna be all white. What a horrible reality to live in that everything could be all white, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you recognize that phrase. Everything's going to be all white. But Showtime put out a show with that exact title talking about the difference between white and black America and how the white man is inherently oppressive and everything is racist and all they want to do is hold us down as people of color. Oh, my gosh. What a horrific reality I live in. Taylor is here, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, everyone. Our resident white male, Taylor. How does it feel that you are constantly oppressing me every waking moment, every time that you breathe? I just have a lot of guilt about it, and I'm going to be apologizing nonstop (laughs) every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. So Taylor, after every episode, he just bows down and cries about the white guilt that he feels for the crimes of his ancestors. Did his ancestors own slaves? No, I don't think so. (laughs) No, they're Norwegian farmers. Yeah, but he still should feel guilty for it, because all because of that skin tone, ladies and gentlemen. And I, what I do, is every single night... I have a white column of my journal that I write in and a black column, and one side apologizes to the other because one side oppresses the other, as is dictated by leftist ideology. So we will all have our rituals. Let me know what is your white guilt ritual uh, down below. And if you are a person of color watching this, what do you ask that white people do for you to really just pay for the sins of existence and their ancestry? Now, we're going to watch this show called Everything's Gonna Be All White. This is the first episode. It was posted on YouTube. Now, it's so hilarious because it has 85,000 views on it, but only 1K likes, and I believe 18,000 dislikes on this video, right, Taylor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have a little plug-in on my, on my Chrome, um, which I shouldn't be using. I use Brave most of the time, but I, on my Chrome, there's a plug-in. You can see the dislikes, and there's 18,000 dislikes because YouTube removed the dislike feature. Right, because they don't want people to know how much wokeism is hated. <laughs> So also the comments are turned off on this, of course. So unfortunately, we don't get to go and look down into the comments to see what people had to say. I think we know why the comments are disabled. But I want to put a disclaimer out for all of you that are watching. If you are young and uh, you are not used to adult language, maybe click off of this episode or at least skip to uh, watch later and skip to the parts where I give commentary because this has adult language in it. It is a TV mature program, I think, simply because of the adult language. So there is going to be curse words. Uh, if you are not used to that, cover the old ears or just watch a different program and come back and revisit me when we get to the commentary part. So here is episode one of Everything's Gonna Be All White. I wonder how far we can get into this without, I don't know, crying, throwing up, screaming, uh, or electing to do some other form of torture, waterboarding, getting our nails ripped off, I don't know, nails on a chalkboard. We will see where we land. Here we go. Okay, spooky beginning. Here we here we are. Yes, violence, adult language, and adult content. Disclaimer for all of these watching. So dramatic. This is a tale of two Americas. There's two Americas? One white, one not. And of countless dreams too long deferred. We're going to be taking a hard look at white America. 
from the perspective of people of color. It's the only perspective that matters if you ask me. Many different people <laughs> of color. And there's no better place to begin than January 6, 2021. <laughs> not... <laughs> Not 1776, you know, not 1965 with the uh, civil rights movement. January 6, 2021. Who could have possibly guessed that a leftist documentary about everything being all white would choose to focus on January 6? I wonder why. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early D.C. leaders preparing for pro-Trump supporters coming back to protest based on false claims of election fraud. Tens of thousands of the president's supporters came to Washington at his request for a protest. I'm curious, question here, was anybody at January 6th black or a person of color? Asian, Hispanic maybe? If you could get back to me on that, it would be greatly appreciated. A protest that turned into a riot. Question for you. Is there any person here that actually thinks that Joe Biden won this election? Oh, We're gathered together in the heart of our nation's capital for one very, very basic and simple reason to save our democracy. Not a single mention of whiteness yet, so I'm really curious as to what the connection is between these two things. If I recall correctly, in the footage that I've seen of this day in history, there were black people present. Now, that might have been maybe Justin Trudeau in blackface just hanging out in the crowd, but there were black people present at January 6th, so I'm wondering where whiteness ties into this, but we shall see. We will stop the steal. Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. We're coming for you, and we're going to have a good time doing it. Now, if you're a true white patriot, you probably watched the news that day alarmed by everything happening to your country. What is a white patriot? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Trump needs to be the president. I truly believe that. Biden needs to go to prison. There'll be a war in this country. It's that simple. 80 million Americans are not going to allow their freedom to be taken. It's not going to happen. I'm already so bored. You may have told yourself some bullshit like, this is not who we are. We're storming the Capitol. It's a revolution. <laughs> but if you're a person of color, you were probably making dinner, <laughs> washing your car, <laughs> or doing some other regular shit because my gosh let's go from the crazy white people rock music during the riot to where if you are a person of color you are probably stirring your craft mac and cheese in your in your kitchen <laughs> with all this b-roll footage of just uh, families of color <laughs> hanging out at home
<laughs> it's really bad. This is like, you know, iStockphoto.com. Just here's an Asian dad washing the car with this child. Uh, right. It's so bad. It is so, so bad. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, if if you are a, a black person of color during January 6th, you are probably at an orphanage handing out food to all <laughs> yeah. the young children who, who don't have parents. Come on. Because none of this is new. White folks throw hissy fits every time they're feeling fragile. And these days, they're feeling fragile as shit. Imagine ever since... If we really want to talk about fragility, because there's all these com these conversations about white fragility, you know, or Robin DeAngelis wrote the book, White Fragility, talking about this. Who is truly fragile in our society? Because who are the ones that are constantly up in arms and protesting and censoring people on the internet over words that are simply typed on a screen? Where Where is the true fragility? Because it's not from white people, seemingly, although I'm sure there are some fragile white people. There are fragile people of every race. But white people are constantly being berated, at least in modern society, and being castigated for every single transgression that has ever happened in human history. And you really don't see them everywhere crying and uh, starting protests about it. Uh, so who is truly the fragile? Who are the fragile members of our society? And imagine saying... Black people are so fragile. Anytime somebody says anything about them, they throw a hissy fit. Sounds racist to me. Just a little racist. Now wait, just a cotton picking minute. Let me tell you something. White people can burn down a city after the Super Bowl, and they're called unruly fans. White people can riot at the Capitol without fear. But let more than five black people gather at a barbecue in the park, and the riot police will roll up on horses like it's the planet of the apes. It just sounds so racist to me. I'm just like, how do you not recognize how racist you sound saying things? And let's truly break this down and talk about it. And we don't even have to talk about it in reference to January 6th because we could talk about the security guards that opened the doors to the Capitol and just say, hey, guys, come on in. Or we could talk about the fact that Black Lives Matter rioted in the American streets for months. I'm not talking a day. I'm not talking a couple hours on January 6th. I'm talking months, months and months burning down all a lot of American businesses, but many black businesses. We had over 20 people die during the George Floyd riots, cities burning for weeks on end. And what were what were the Black Lives Matter activists called on social media and mainstream media? Mostly peaceful protesters. <laughs> that's the that's the phrase that we got from news organizations like MSNBC. So who truly has the badge of honor that allows them to go and pro uh, protest and riot? And who truly is unable to get any form of criticism without major and often aggressive retaliation? It's not the white members of our society. And there's a thing that we should think about is truly often the most powerful people in your society are the people who cannot be criticized. And if you can make an entire documentary about how much you hate white people and how annoying they are and how fragile they are, that's a heavy amount of criticism. So I would go pretty much as far as to say white people might not be your problem when it comes to power and privilege. Everybody needs to stop criticizing white people. You need to thank us. If it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have no cool stuff. Like the internet. Facts. 
I have to pause this every two seconds because it just is increasingly more ridiculous. Notice how that's an actor. That's not somebody that they're interviewing for this documentary. It's almost like they couldn't find a white person to say these things on their documentary. So they hired a white guy to play this pseudo-racist, whatever, uh, caricature of a white person for their own purposes. Okay, I'm just gonna skip through the entire title card. Everything's gonna be all white. Sasha Jenkins. I want to meet this Sasha Jenkins. If you ever see this show, please come and join me on this show. I would love to have a discussion about your views on American whiteness and what it means to be black in America, because clearly... We have very different uh, analysis when it comes to living as a person of color in America. We are African and we happen to be in America. Our forefathers weren't the pilgrims. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock was landed on us. What does the idea little white lie mean? I assume that it means that there are moments in time when people are perhaps disingenuous and don't necessarily tell the truth about something. <laughs> Nobody would know it better than the people making this documentary and the people doing these interviews. Talk to me about being disingenuous and misrepresenting something. I want you all to genuinely think about how many truly racist people you know or have even encountered, even in, in passing by in your entire life, and put that down in the comments. Let me know the number of people that you have met that are truly racist. I would love to know. For me, it's very few, Taylor. Um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank of yeah. anyone I know in person. Yeah, very, very few people have I met in my life that have actually been truly racist so you let me know if you've me you meet a lot of racist people because maybe there is just some uh, giant secret society of racist individuals uh racist white men that meet just like the kkk and do all this fun stuff and i just don't know them and have not met them and they do exist but let me know it's viewed as something that isn't necessarily a social faux pas and that is not really a bad thing a little white lie well I don't believe there's such a thing as a little white lie. I think a lie is a lie. To use the phrase a little white lie means that if you tell the white lie, it's better than telling any other kind of lie because it's a white lie. That little white lie could very well be American history. I'm just actively pra practicing meditation as I watch this because it's unbelievable the things that are being said. And I look at all the graphics that pop up because, of course, this is messaging. This is stuff that they want you to see. The Tulsa Race Massacre popped up. We got imagery of Nazis burning books. We've got the Ponce Massacre of Puerto Rico in 1937. I, for the leftist watching, 
Can you give me just this massively racist occurrence that you can point to that has happened in in the 21st century? Can anybody? Because as soon as we start talking systemic racism and s institutionalized oppression, immediately I hear things like not even the Ponce massacre. People don't bring that up. The Tulsa race uh, massacre. They talk about Black Wall Street. They talk about Jim Crow. And of course, the the uh, massive institution of slavery that America was apparently built on. So these are the things that people lean on. Can we get anything from the 21st century as an example of widespread institutionalized systemic racism? And if Taylor sees anything in the comments uh, that points to that, I will hopefully be able to respond to it and I will hopefully be aware of it. Would love to see that. Real quick, we had did a poll um, asked, uh, do you know anyone personally in real life um, who is racist personally? And 70% mm -hmm. say no on yours. Would you look at that? It's almost as if our society has made more progress than we are willing to give it credit for. It's strange to me, this new victimhood culture that has such an attachment to oppression. And for me, it begs the question, if all the oppressive uh, factors and facets that people complain about today went away tomorrow, what would be next? Would we be living in this utopian society where nobody complains anymore and everything is fine and we're living, we're all singing Kumbaya, Kumbaya and holding hands around the bonfire? I would say no. It would be my thinking that within a day or two, something else would be drummed up as an example of oppression, whether that be in regard to race, sexuality, gender, something would come to mind because it feels as though our society thrives on these discussions of oppression. It thrives on these political campaigns. And we all know that politicians do. You know, they wouldn't have jobs if they didn't have problems to solve. So let's assume that tomorrow all the problems that you can fathom in your brain are solved. What is next? Because I imagine there will be something next. It does not stop. It does not end. Revolutions constantly need a new enemy. And that's why you see the victim culture shift. It used to be women. Now it's trans people. Uh, you know, it, it used to be just black people. Now we're bringing in other people of color, although we just forget those Asians on any given day because who cares about the Asians in America, apparently. Uh, so it's constantly shifting and morphing and taking shape because once they've defeated one enemy, they move on to the next and the next and the next and the next. The revolution cannot stop because then, you know, the the oppression uh that is now a form of currency dies it has no value it has no meaning and we can't have our oppression lose value and, and lose its its uh its currency we we have to move on we have to find something new the biggest lie is that we already know everything we oh, need we to know about Oop. america let's get this back so she said the biggest lie is that we already know everything that we need to know about American history. I'm curious as to what I am going to be enlightened on when it comes to American history. Let's continue. History. And I think that one of the definitions of American whiteness is not knowing American history. <laughs> Such a racist thing to say. What if I said one of the definitions of American blackness is not knowing how to read or how to do math or not knowing American history or not knowing science? Racist. It is racist. And you'll hear people say, well, you can't be racist towards white people because they have some sort of perceived power and and racism only applies to the disenfranchised. It only applies to the people who don't have power and privilege. 
No, let's go ahead and put out the definition of racism. If you view a race as inferior or superior or different from your own in a way that has value and meaning attached to it, you are a racist. So this is racist. Call it by its name, ignorance. She just said white people are ignorant. She just said one of the definitions of American whiteness is being ignorant. What is the intent of distorting history? The intent of distorting history. Ah, 1940s to 1990s. Okay, so we have yet to inch into the 21st century. So we'll keep watching. Because if you keep people disempowered and not thinking that they have any self-worth, then they are easier to manipulate. This is just a massive self-own. You are literally putting out and displaying your own playbook. He just said that if you... Well, let's actually re-listen to what he just said, because I want to get it word for word what he just said. People disempowered and not thinking that they have any self-worth, then they are easier to manipulate. If you keep people disempowered and thinking that they do not have any self-worth, they are easier to manipulate. Okay, let's look at the black population and the white population in America and the current cultural colloquialism surrounding those things. I see a lot of things as white people are ignorant, as this woman just said. White people are inherently racist. White people are oppressors, and they are since the day that they were born. White people are fragile. White people should carry white guilt. What do we see surrounding the conversation regarding black people. Black is beautiful. Black people are powerful. The future of America is black. We need to uphold diversity. We need to uphold representation. Black queens, black kings. Melanin is beautiful. Melanin is powerful. Melanin is king. Okay, so I'm seeing uh, a group of people who are being uplifted and I'm seeing a group of people who are being, what? Disempowered and told that they do not have any self-worth. And it it, you know, brings to mind the fact that a lot of these movements regarding race, sexuality, gender are headed by white Americans, particularly white females. And it's almost as if when you make somebody feel disempowered and like they don't have any self-worth, they can be manipulated. You're exposing yourself. You are exposing yourself. That's why when I go to a college like Winona State University to make a speech about just telling my story and talking about the state of America, 45 young white girl college students show up to protest me, call me a white supremacist and call me a racist. It's almost like they feel enough white guilt and fragility to, in fact, turn on somebody that they claim to be representing. Real quick, the, the, yes. you talk about the the idea, too, that um, feeling disempowered is what makes someone manipulable. Mm-hmm. There's on the flip side of what you're saying, the other side of the coin is they tell black people that you are, uh, can't get, can't achieve on your own merits. America is yes. a systemically racist country. The deck is stacked against you. You can't achieve on your own. That What does that do? That, that disempowers you and it makes you easily manipulable. Just vote for me and I'll solve all your problems and get you out from under the systemic racism in the country. And right. uh, so it, it goes both ways. Uh, makes people manipulated, the white people and the black people. Exactly. And it all is contingent upon you feeling disempowered, disenfranchised, marginalized. That's why these buzzwords that they use are often attached to all the conversations that they have. Disempowered, disenfranchised, unheard, silenced, chained, enslaved, castigated, marginalized. You will constantly hear these terms. And think about what that means to you. If you if you heard that and you genuinely genuinely identified with those terms, 
You are enslaved in this country. That's what they want you to believe. And the only way to get out of it is to join with other enslaved people. And if the other people don't know that they're enslaved, you have to convince them. That's what you have to do. So not only am I now been convinced of my own victimhood, but I have to go out and tell other people and convince them and have them join the cult because if they don't, this is where I'm stuck for the rest of my life. They even go as far as to say that it won't happen in your generation, but you should work and you should join this fight for the other generations, the future ones, because we can't fix this until we abolish all of our institutions and systems, until you get everybody to link up with this messaging. And I mean every piece of the messaging. If they don't agree with it 100%, they don't agree with it at all. If you are somebody who is a progressive or on the political left, I'm sure you have heard language like this. And if you if you are somebody who is uh, transitioned from political left to conservative or classically liberal or politically homeless and unaffiliated, comment that down below. Have you had a similar experience or is that just something that I went through in my time on that side of the aisle? Because that seemed to be just a constant point in everything that we discussed and everything that we did. So comment that down below, but I want you to comment that on my page. Go to Amala Epinobi or Unapologetic Live. Type that in on YouTube. We are going to cut off PragerU YouTube right now and go over to just uh, my channels, Rumble, Getter. We'll also be on PragerU Facebook. So we're saying bye to the PragerU people on YouTube. Head on over to my YouTube channel if you want to watch the rest of the show. Although... Uh, I don't know if you want to watch this anymore at this point, but head on over to us. Bye to everybody on PragerU YouTube. Let's continue this video. The idea is, is that, you know, you make us the enemy. It's all propaganda. You know, it's, it's, it's really just a bunch of white lies. <laughs> and so when you talk about the history of white people, you should probably research it the same way you would research a business. Okay. Uh, there's constant imagery in this of burning books, which of course is this sort of subliminal suggestion that white people and people who represent the views of whiteness want to, in some way, shape, or form, erase the history of people of color, erase true American history, and paint a pretty picture of what it means to be white in America and, and sell that to people who live here. But if we look at the actions of uh, the people on these different sides of the aisle, I think we're painting a, a wrong picture here. If we look at the statues that were brought down during the George Floyd riots and statues brought down subsequently, like New York City bringing down statues of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson specifically, this is a problem. This is a mischaracterization of history. This is a false depiction. This is, in fact, taking a, a towel and just wiping clean the slate of our history. And all because we have made uh, the, the connection of evil and whiteness. Now there are no white political figures that anybody can look up to because they're all disgusting. They were all part of some transgression, which I believe we're going to get to in this episode. And I will have a whole uh, discussion that we need to have surrounding that because you would be amazed in looking into some of the historical figures that people on the progressive side of things put on a pedestal and talk about and idolize and some of the horrible disgusting things that they have done in their past. Now, do we do we consign those people to the most horrible moments of their lives? 
No. And this is why we need to look at history with nuance. It's not all about the wonderful things that you've done. It's not all about the bad things that you've done. People are multidimensional. They are multifaceted. We cannot consign them to one moment of their lives. Check out the Yup Review. And Yup will tell the story. Well, if somebody looked up America and America was on Yup, America would have a one star. And that is only because you can't do less than one. <laughs> Imagine hating your country so much. Where would you go? And this is a question again. If you would give America one star on Yelp, what other country would you rather be in? And tell me why. What makes these countries better? Is it Nordic countries that you perceive to be happier and more full of freedom, even though they are largely ethnically and value-based uh, homogenous societies where everybody looks the same and thinks the same and agrees on values? Are those the countries that you would rather go to? Is it somewhere in Europe, which is far more racist than America ever was? Is it somewhere like China with its human rights violation? But oh, that technical innovation. Let me know what's a country that you would rather be in if you hold such a deep hatred or disdain for America. Or are you in the camp of people, which I will give uh, time for this thought, that think America just needs work? And if so, what work does America need? Because a lot of people will say, well, yeah, I have my problems with this country, but it doesn't mean I want to leave. It means I want to make the country better. And I think we should give voice to the people who think those things and who are trying to give out reasonable uh reasonable ideas for improvement what are those ideas that you have and what are what is your analysis of america and this this dislike for america what is it based on nobody lies to themselves better than white americans because white americans have been lying to themselves and to people of color from day one racist that's a lot of practice racist so it makes perfect sense that white folks rioted at the Capitol because so many still believe the lies about the 2020 election, about the country, about themselves. Thankfully, there was someone there with a different perspective. Take one marker. Tell us who you are. I'm Mel D. Cole, and I'm a photographer. Take us to the Capitol. <sighs> Craziest day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> As you... We all know by now, the Capitol building was raided. You mean when the security guards opened the doors? And I somehow managed to be in the middle of it. Um, you mean because you voluntarily went there? They may let us back. We're still live on Facebook. Okay. We're still live. <laughs> I guess we're going to keep going? Yeah. Okay. I think they're they're claiming copyright issues with when we mm. play too much of it. So just... Okay. We'll have to keep chiming in constantly. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, let's get back to this. Let's keep watching. Uh, hi to everybody on Facebook. If we could put in the chat Spencer on YouTube and let people know that we're still going Sad on Facebook. To be there. It was just so emotional because I couldn't believe that, you know, for one, that this was happening in our country. When I arrived there, I mean, there were thousands of people hanging over scaffolding, hanging over the towers, climbing the walls. 
You know what? I'm actually going to skip the January 6th stuff. I feel like we, we've already beaten that dead horse uh, to bits. So uh, we're going to continue with this documentary and just skip to other points that they make. Are we getting back up on YouTube? Uh, um, is that a possibility today? It's the, So our YouTube stream is still live, but okay. uh, they're, it's not going through. So it just says stream suspended, but people are still in the chat and stuff. Okay. Well, can we turn so off YouTube and maybe... So they might unsuspend it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think Spencer's working on that. Let's okay. continue. Uh, everything's going to be all white. This one, uh, the caption says, Africa, 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 Africa. Let's go. Africa, 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 Africa is the cradle of civilization. Deal with it, baby. So <laughs> what about the idea of the construct of race as we know it today in this country? The or I, you know what? There's one thing that I do agree with is that race is a social construct. Uh, for some reason, the, the progressives want to run with this social construct and talk about it even more, even though the the real way to get rid of a social construct is to not talk about it. But it is constructive. The origins of race as a construct was the transatlantic slave trade, which was a time in which you essentially had European, more specifically Portuguese slave traders who started slave trading all of these different peoples. Who sold them the slaves? <laughs> I hate this lie by omission when it comes to the North Atlantic slave trade. Who sold the slaves? Because it wasn't just a bunch of African, uh, of European people hopping off of boats and just snatching people and grabbing them and then running back to the boat. I imagine somebody would put up quite a bit of fight if that happened to them. Who first enslaved the African people? that were sold to the Europeans. And uh, even better question, how many races have experienced slavery in their long history on this earth? All of them is the answer. Let's continue. And they made the case that they were one people, one inferior people who were worthy of enslavement. Really one? Because again, every single race has been enslaved. What's important to know is that race is a power construct. Oftentimes it's framed as this social construct, but historically it's been powerful forces, powerful people who have been constructing and reconstructing race over time. And typically what was behind that construction was racism. Unbelievable. What's the matter, Tom? Having trouble writing the report? No, don't look for me, Tom. You can't see me. But I can see you. A lot of us can see you. Oh, Tom. Spelling is easy. Easy for you, maybe. Easy for you. For anybody. Well, there's one place you can be sure to find the correct spelling of any word. The dictionary. The dictionary. Oh, sure. <laughs> Here it is. Wow, I love how his finger just went over homogenize. Oh my gosh. If there's one thing the political left knows how to do, like chef's kiss, magnifique, it is subliminal messaging. They are very good at subliminally messaging people, sneaking their ideology into everything, everything. And it, you can't, it's almost like you can't make a piece of art, a piece of literature, a piece of entertainment without having to put your ideology in it it is so much a part of us that we cannot even detach ourselves from it from even for even a moment 
to to let things slide and let things go by. We can't do it for even a moment. Okay, what does this say? White people. And here's the definition of white people. A saltine group of European diaspora contrasting with colored people or persons of color. White people think being told they can't say the N-word is reverse racism. I have trouble verbalizing how disgusting this documentary is. I have trouble verbalizing it. And the only thing I can say, and it's something that must be repeated, is think about this in reverse. Think about this being done in reverse. And in fact, maybe I, as the as the black person who has, I guess, the card to be able to do this, maybe I should make a documentary like this about black people and see how well it is received, because I imagine it is not going to be well received at all all but the audacity it's the confidence for me it's the gall for me it's the audacity for me to make something like this so blatantly and disgustingly racist uh and to put this out on the internet on showtime have it be sponsored by a massive company disgusting goodbye tom and good luck with your report thanks thanks a whole lot All right, OG, <laughs> tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Phil Tajitsu Nash. I teach Asian Pacific American history, and I've been a lawyer for many years dealing with human rights issues, basically for all people. What are some of the biggest white lies in American history? I do know, for example, that one, one of the indigenous brothers came up here uh, from South America. I do a lot of work with indigenous communities, and we were at Mount Vernon And my wife and I were translating what was being said by the guide about George Washington. And at one point, the guide said that George Washington had 300 slaves. And so as we were translating that, Mm -hmm. this indigenous brother said, he controlled 300 other people? And we said, yes. And he couldn't wrap his head around that concept. Yes, because it is a disgusting and horrible thing. It is a massive transgression, but a transgression that nearly every single country and every single race has uh, has either inflicted or, or been subject to. So that's where we need to start being honest about it. It's so weird to me that the conversations we have around slavery act as if black people are the only people that have ever been enslaved, ever because somehow they're just viewed differently than every other race and no other race ever thought, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to do our own labor and we got somebody else to do the labor and we got them to do that for free. And in fact, when they did not want to do that labor, we forced them to do that labor. I think other races have had that thought and that horrific thing has come to come to term in many other time periods with many other skin colors, uh, with many other ages, races, genders. Uh, so. It's, this is not some new idea that was fresh to America and had never seen before in history. They got the idea from somewhere. And a lot of that idea came from Africans who were already enslaving each other. The idea that he would have enslaved 300 other people and was using the labor of those people for his benefit alone, in the worldview of this indigenous brother, that is shameful. That is something ridiculous. Yes. So these are some of the myths that we venerate. We venerate people who did things that are ghastly. That okay. Are I... Unfathomable to people who haven't grown up in this sea of isms. We should not be venerating certain people. Okay.
That's where we're going to end for the day. I want to end with just this little uh, rant about this idea of who we venerate, who disturb, who who deserves to be looked at uh, through the lens of history with a pedestal. Who deserves to be idolized? Because if we truly want to look at people's transgressions and whether or not they were good or bad people. We would not worship anybody in history. We would not talk about anybody in history. We would not have statues for anybody in history. Because the funny thing is that humans are fallible. We do horrible things. We make bad choices. I am not uh, shielded from that. Taylor's not shielded from that. All of you watching are not shielded from that. There is no righteous person that has never done wrong in their entire life and has no past that people could look at and scrutinize. It does not exist. And that is the case for every person who has ever existed in history. So when we look at our founding fathers and say, well, they perpetrated slavery or racism or bigotry or they were very patriarchal. Okay, so who would you rather worship? Who would you rather, not even worship, worship's not the right word, who would you rather look at with a kind eye? Who would you rather uphold for their contribution to our country and to our history? Is it somebody like Martin Luther King? Because if we look into Martin Luther King, he was being investigated. And Martin Luther King also witnessed the rape of a woman and laughed about it. Was not a very great husband to his wife. And let's think about that, witnessed the rape of a woman and laughed about it. That's what Martin Luther King did. So do we do we uh, castigate Martin Luther King and say, take down all his statues, start renaming the streets that are named after MLK because he did that thing? Or do we look at his contribution to society and history and the civil rights movement and go, oh, kind of, <laughs> maybe we should talk about that. We do the whole maybe we should talk about it thing. Let's look at Mahatma Gandhi. Everybody looks at him as this, as this bastion and arbiter of peace and kindness and truth. He sexually assaulted his nieces and other young women. Do we look at him kindly and still acknowledge his contribution to society and history? That we do. And do you guys still have portraits of Gandhi and little figures of Gandhi in your house? And maybe you meditate to people talking about his practices and who he was as an individual? Yes, we do. And the same can be said for nearly every historical figure that you could ever want to look into. Yet we view their their history and what they've contributed and what they've done with a kind eye because of what it has done for us. And the same should be done for the founding fathers who created the very country that you live in right now, the very rights, the very privileges that you get to have get to exercise and have in this country that is unique to this place alone and is seen nowhere else. I think that's a big enough contribution to look at them and go, yes, they did own slaves. Horrible, horrible transgression that will hope most likely never be repeated here in the United States, although it is it is being repeated. We, do, we just don't talk about that. We don't talk about the sex slaves. We don't talk about the human trafficking. We don't talk about other countries all over the world that are actively committing the transgression of slavery. Instead, we focus on the 1800s here in this country. We don't have the real conversations. But that is a, a side point for a different day. So always keep that in mind when people come at you and attack you for holding up these people in history and talking about their contributions that everybody is fallible everybody's made mistakes everybody has done something wrong or bad or something that will not be looked at kindly oh gosh a hundred years from now 200 years from now 250 years from now think about where you are at now in your life 
all the things that you've done, look at our ethical and moral standings of today and how different they were from the ones of 250 years ago. And if you can, I think this is a wonderful thought experiment to do with you, your loved ones, your peers, people who disagree with you. Sit and think about 250 years from now. If you can even go into the depths of your brain to possibly try to imagine or fathom up something uh, that far away. And think about what the ethical musings are going to be for 250 years from now. And when the world of the future looks back on you now, what will they say? What will they think? Will they look at the bad things that you've done and say that you're disgusting and that nobody should talk about your legacy or your family or anything that you've ever contributed? Maybe they will, because that's the way our society works. That's the way that humans work. Unfortunately, we lack nuance in lots of ways. We love for things to be simple. We love for certain things to be good, other things to be bad, and not to have to look at the different dimensions and spectrums that are involved in making those judgments and making those assessments. So hope that people view you with indulgence in the future, but most likely they will not. But if we can, now that we're cognizant of what we do in our minds and how simplistic we would love things to be, but they are not, we should start to view things with nuance. For everybody, people who are progressive, people who are conservative, people of our past and our history, people who have contributed, people who have done horrible things, let's try to look at human beings as they are, which are multifaceted individuals who have a multitude of experiences that we will never know, never live through, never put our foot in their shoes, and come to an assessment based on that. And first, before we even do that, why not look at ourselves? Look at all the things that we do. Look at the experiences that we've had that are unique to us, unique to our hearts, our minds, our shoes, <laughs> and make an analysis of ourselves and how we can make ourselves better before we then go look to other people and tell them what they can do. I think that's a beautiful thought experiment, and I think that is where we will end the show for today. Thank you so much for watching. I don't know that I will ever revisit this documentary miniseries, but if you liked this content and you want me to watch more of woke leftist propaganda and respond to it for you and talk about all the different ways in which things like this are wrong and incorrect and often full of lies, will we call them little white lies? No. They're just lies. So if you want us to revisit content like this, let me know if there's something that you learned from this, if there's a question that was raised for you that you'd like me to answer or analyze or do some research into, I would love to do that. We will see you guys tomorrow at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. I cannot wait. We'll have a new topic for you then. Thank you guys so much for watching. Again, leave a comment, like, subscribe, turn on the notification bell, and follow us on other platforms because apparently YouTube is not very reliable. We're on Getter. We're on Rumble. We're on Facebook. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, so you can listen to me and all of my rantings and ramblings there as well. Thank you so much for watching. See you tomorrow.